Hi everybody, this is John Forrester with Out of Character, and today I want to talk about a game that I just finished reading through. Um, it is a, a game that came out of Evil Hat called The War of Ashes, The Fate of Agoptus. I actually got this game a while ago, I just, I've been reading through it little by little because it is one of the longer books that I have on my shelf at this moment as far as role-playing game books go, and it is it's fun. It was a really fun read. I enjoyed looking through it all. It just took me a while to, to get through it. Uh, it was about 365, 370 pages, I think. So picture this. Imagine the island of Britain after the Romans came in and occupied it. And, you know, that level of technology, you have like, you know, little patches of civilization with like aqueducts and, you know, fortified t towns and things like that. And then you have, you know, very roving wilderness and like, simple thatch huts. Now imagine all those people, all those Romans and all those Britons and all those guys, uh, they are a race, four distinct races of monstrous Muppet people uh, with their own distinct histories and cultures and ties, and they are all warring with one another for various reasons. That is what the War of Ashes, Fate of Agapis is. It's, it's pretty awesome, to be honest with you. I, I love it just for that. What it is, is you basically have these four distinct races that are all dwelling on the islands of Agaptus. Three of these races have been at war with one with each other for years over territory, resources, and land. The fourth race has just become an issue. They've been driven into this territory by uh, disasters, and these other races are kind of while they're while they're trying to take each other out of the equation, they are also trying to not get eaten by the other group. So I'm going to basically describe some of these races, uh, some of the things that are interesting about this game, and just give you some of my thoughts about it. The races are this. There are four, as I said. They are all distinct and interesting in their own way. Uh, you have the Noble Elvorix. They are a very proud race. They, in the past, had like great feats of architecture and technology and things like that that they were very proud of. They're basically, they're, they're kind of like, as far as they're concerned, they are the height of what any civilized race can hope to accomplish. Unfortunately, a change in who held power led to basically a period where most of the records of those times were destroyed and just stagnation for hundreds of years as they suffered under like a very militaristic culture. Uh, they've finally gotten away from that. They've started to recover and rebuild, but because they lost those records... They can't recreate a lot of the things that their culture used to have. So, like, uh, just, you know, picture, like, the, these guys can find these ruins and this technology, and if it's still in working order, they're, they're happy to take advantage of it and kind of, like, you know, pat themselves on the back and talk about, like, this is what we, this is what our culture built. They have no idea how it actually works, and they couldn't fix it if it broke, but that's how they are. They're also a culture that encourages mediocrity. The reason for that is, that they have angered one of the gods. That's the Lord of the Sky, which has led to him becoming very upset with them, and he that this god has caused an ice age, which has precipitated events that are unfolding across the islands as we speak. So that's the Elvericks. Uh They are proud. They are very, um, you know, they're they're kind of like keep. We're we're gonna stay right in the middle. Don't don't stand out too much. They have a very um. A very, uh, you know, the, the nail that stands up gets hammered down to hardest. That's how they kind of are. You have the second race is kind of like they're, they're, they're kind of like their cousins. Uh, these are the Savage Vidar. 
they are basically descended from the same common ancestry as the Elverics, but they're more aggressive. So you have the way I think of it is like the El- the the Elverics are basically like the, the the Romans who were colonizing Britain, and the Vidar are basically the, the Britons, uh, more or less, as as I'm seeing them. You know, they were uh, less interested in building these huge structures. They they were you know more they they were focused on other things. The Elverics didn't like them. They basically were like these guys are savage. They're warlike. They're not it like us. We need to get rid of them. So they came up with a great idea. They basically told these this, these people's ancestors, hey, there's a whole bunch of treasure over on these other islands. You should go get it. And they were like, really? Like, yeah, absolutely. Go go ahead. So they got on some, a, bunch of, a bunch of warships and just sailed off. There was no treasure. This was just a complete pile of garbage that the Elverics came up with to lure them away. Uh, when they did eventually return, they are a nation of raiders and pirates. And they are really good at shipbuilding now because they've been at sea. They're good at making weaponry. They're good at brewing. Uh, they're very lazy. They'd rather steal stuff than, like, grow their own crops. Like, farming every day is a lot of work. Stealing someone's harvest is, like, two or three days of work at tops. They hate the Elvarex because they they were tricked. They, they, they've been, you know, they, they left and now their homes are gone. They had to sail the seas for all these years all because these guys were haughty. The third race is uh, made up of the Disciplined Ajarl. Uh This is another race. They were driven from their home when a volcano erupted. They did conquer one island, and that's kind of where they got their foothold in the in uh, in this region. They're enemies of the Elvariks and the Vidar. They don't like either of them, and neither of them like them. They're more advanced as far as making weapons and in feats of engineering than any of the other races. They are very few in number. This is basically like the survivors of the race that was white, almost wiped out. So what they do is when they capture people, they take them in as forced labor to bolster their ranks. They are kind of weird because they kind of have a, an interesting conflict because what they value in their culture is they value honor, order, and ruthlessness. So they are a race that is like, you know, be, be ruthless, but be honorable. We want order, but be ruthless. So it's an interesting contradiction in that uh, the fourth race is made up of the race that all the other races hate. This is the race that's precipitating a lot of the trouble that you're going to be seeing. And this is the Endless Cold. The Cold are basically, they look like frog people almost. They just, they, they're big, they, they just eat everything. They'll eat almost anything. They have noticed they're very simple-minded creatures. They have noticed almost no distinction between what is and is not food. When the Elverics ticked off the Lord of the Sky, his answer to that was to basically cause an ice age. So you have ice spreading rapidly, glaciers are moving into place, and this is forcing the cold out of what was their home into the other races' homelands. And they aren't happy about this. These guys were already vying for control over these islands, and now you have another contender who none of them want and they are just this unstoppable horde. They'll just wander the countryside and strip it clean like locusts and just devour everything that comes into their path. Interestingly enough, you can play as a cult in this game. There are self-aware cults that have advanced beyond the point of, you know, basic, like, they, they, they've acquired, like, speech. They aren't just interested in just gnawing down trees anymore. They want to communicate and be part of it. They're weird, though. They're very unusual, so you're not going to see too many of them. 
a few interesting things about this world. So the gods, there are gods in this world. Uh, there is a, a religion for the various races. The gods are really, they want to be involved in everything, but they're basically incompetent. They are very powerful, but they're incompetent. Like, they're the gods that you would pray to and say, like, well, there's a drought. How can you help? And they would cause a flood that would sink half of your island. That's what we're talking about here. That's the kind of stuff they've set off. The system does use fate. It basically builds on fate accelerated, which is similar to fate core. If you've played fate accelerated or you've played fate core, you can pick this up very quickly. It is modified in a few ways. They do a lot of things with equipment to make equipment more interesting. Um, the thing that I always think of is in a lot of the games, equipment is basically like in a lot of fate games, equipment doesn't come into play too much. It's there, like, you know, a, a sword is, you know, you can find really cool items. This makes equipment a bit more standard. Like, it is modified to use miniatures. The, there are miniatures for this game that are specially made. They do look like these creatures. Uh, that's from Zombie Smith. So if you want to use minis, you can get those uh, from Zombie Smith. They are pretty cool looking. I saw a few online. It's interesting because fate games don't usually use miniatures too, too much. You know, I, most of the ones I do, it's very theater of the mind. We don't usually use the minis. I'll, I'll maybe draw a map of, like, the zones that people are in so that everyone knows where people are but uh most times we don't use minis but i think it's cool to have them and it may be something you want to pick up for this because there can be a lot of large-scale combat there are artifacts that come into play as far as like you know from the ancient races that's there are a few other changes but for the most part those are the the big big differences there's a couple of things that i really do like here you have four distinct races that don't like each other for various reasons uh, some of these, you know, uh, rivalries date back to their early history. Uh, some are fairly new, but they are all very distinct. They are unique, and they have clear goals. You know, one race wants to establish themselves as like, well, we're the best. We should just look look at all the, the, the ruins that are standing around. Look at all the stuff our culture built. We should be in charge. Uh, you have another culture that's very, they're, they're kind of pirate raiders. They don't want to listen to anybody. They basically want to be left alone, and they are ticked off at the other, at the, at, at you know their their cousins. You have the Jarl, who are you know very warlike, but they basically want to establish order. Which there's a lot of chaos in this region. There's no real clear leader at this point, so I can understand that. And also, they don't just kill everyone and take everything over. They do you know capture people and take them into their society. The Calder just. They, they just want to eat. They've been displaced by the actions of another, of, by the Elverics, and like any any living thing, they're going to try to survive. They're not evil, per se. I wouldn't, I, they're not described that way in the book, which is interesting. They don't understand that what they're doing is, like, harmful. They're basically just simple creatures that are trying to survive. It's like if you burn down a forest then the animals that survive have to go somewhere. So this is like how we lead to, like, you know, wolves and bears and stuff wandering down Main Street. They, they have to go somewhere, and it can cause a lot of chaos as a result. They're not evil creatures. That doesn't mean they can't hurt you or cause destruction. It, and it's kind of, it's not even their fault that they're there in most cases. They didn't choose to leave. They were forced out. As far as, like, what kind of games you can run and stuff like that, there's there's a couple of there's a lot of different approaches for like how you can do it, but two of the most common ones I've seen I've, I've read about in the book were a hodgepodge of races that have come together for whatever reason. Like you know you have uh, a group of like one Elberic, one Bedar, one Jarl, and one Cold. 
they were all captured and they're being held prisoner somewhere, maybe uh, by a jar in a jarl camp, and they're gonna take into forced labor. Uh, one of them is like viewed as a traitor or he's been disgraced, and they escape together, and that's how they kind of start off. Or you could have pick like you know we all want to be Elverix, and our village comes under attack by the cold. That's perfect. You can totally do that. Uh, there's a lot of different approaches. Uh, one of the great things about this book is, about the War of Ashes, is it is one of the most detailed and most intricately connected fate books I have ever seen. Uh, I love fate. I love what Evil Hat puts out. Uh, the only thing I can really think of that comes close to this, just in terms of length and how interconnected stuff is, is like the Dresden Files role-playing game which that's spread out over multiple books, and they're all pretty lengthy in and of themselves. They spend a ton of time talking about just not only like how the history of the world you're in, how what the places are, uh, how the cultures work, what the societies are like, how they interact with the gods, how they interact with each other, what you might encounter, what you can do in these places when you get to them. It is really, really involved, and it's it's one of those things that you want to you want to sit down and actually read through the whole book just so you can really take advantage of all that information. If you're wondering, as far as like you know, like character creation and stuff, it's pretty standard to any Fate game. Uh, you, you know, you you choose various aspects. The big difference here is, like in Fate Accelerated, you're going to choose approaches instead of skills. So you'll have like careful, clever, flashy, forceful, quick, and sneaky factions come into play a lot. Like, you have all these little different factions within each of these cultures that have different goals and different belief systems, and it's it, it's fun because you can make something that makes sense within any of these, or you can kind of make, like, a very renegade-type character. Like, let's say you're playing the game, and your culture, you know, the Elberich, they're, they're saying you need to avoid drawing too much attention. You don't want to stand out, and you're like, no, I'm going to be the best. There is magic in this universe as well, which I find interesting. The magic is granted by the gods to their priests. A lot of it is not actually that. A lot of it is just trickery that they disguise as magic. So you have a lot of a lot of tricky guys running around saying, you know, like the the the, the Sky Lord has commanded me to bring water, and it's this guy using an old aqueduct that he's rigged up to shoot water out at certain times throughout the day. That's something that you might see in this world. I like the setting quite a bit. Uh, it was some, I like that it kind of takes. I believe everything here. I, I believe that you know. Oh well, you have this this culture that's been displaced by a natural disaster. They have to go somewhere. They're going to go here. You have these cultures that are all in tight conflict for resources and space. They don't like each other, and they're all kind of faced with another threat. Now, in a lot of settings, uh, if you okay, uh, when I was a kid, my dad had the uh, the Rankin Bass. Hobbit movie, um, which I watched over and over and over. I have it upstairs in my bedroom right now, still on VHS. I love that movie. Um, there's a point in that movie and in that book and the new movies where you have th- you have the three armies. You have the elves, the humans, and the dwarves who are all vying for the treasure of Lonely Mountain. Now that the great dragon Smog is dead, and they are all gonna kill each other. Um, basically, they they there's been you know, all appeals for peace and reason have failed, and they are on a field of battle ready to just wipe each other out, and, you know, whoever survives, they're going to be rich. And then the goblins show up, and they band together to face that threat. And I like that, because 
you have, you know, this moment where Ollie, we've always liked you, you have, we have always considered you friends and brothers, and they shake hands on the battlefield, and then they run off and fight, and they, you know, of course, emerge victorious. Which, that's a great thing, because I like when, you know, people set aside their differences to deal with problems that they couldn't overcome by themselves. That's great. I love this approach because it feels more real to me, because even as these races are, like, seeing an glaciers crushing their land they're seeing like you know once beautiful pristine oceans just turn into frozen wastelands that they can't fish they can't sail through and they see these horrible creatures roaming the countryside you know devouring their harvests whole eating their livestock and you know spitting up like just bits of hair and nothing else they can't completely ignore you know, centuries of animosity. It's not easy for people to get past that. So I think that's really interesting. It's great. It's a great way to have that. Because a lot of games you'll have, uh, like, you know, like traditionally you'll have like D&D and Dungeon World and Castles and Crusades and Pathfinder and all these RPGs where you have all these races that traditionally you'll see them in a party together and sometimes they don't get along because, you know, like dwarves and elves, like in the Lord of the Rings books, uh, you have Gimli and Legolas who don't like each other initially, but it never really seems to prevent them from achieving anything. At least, you know, by the end of the movies, they're best friends, and they're, like, killing elephants and all that stuff. Whereas, in this, having two members of two of these races in the same place at the same time, it's going to come up immediately. They don't like each other. Uh, they, they may take advantage of one another. They may ally with one another. It's interesting to kind of see, like, okay, what kind of game can you run with this? You, you, are you going to try to run something where you are trying to, like, band these races together to, you know, push back the cult? Are you going to go on some kind of a quest to appease the gods to stop the catastrophe that's spreading and destroying everything? Are they going to be dealing with some other threat? Is there, a, you know, are you going to be dealing with, like, okay, so while the Elverics are, are, you know, fortifying their towns, and the Vidar are being lazy and, you know, basically just raiding everything they can. The Jarl have decided that they're the only ones who can save the day. And they're just going to try to take as much territory as they can. Because they have been displaced once, they're not going to be displaced again. Um, and they, they empathize with the cult, but they don't like them. Um, you know, they, they don't think they can make peace with this enemy because they're not, they're not intelligent as far as they can tell. So that's an idea of some different games you can run with this. Uh, great system just in terms of the complexity of what they do. You take something like Fate Accelerator, which is a very simple system. takes a few minutes to explain how you can use it. Uh, we did a Harry Potter game with Fate not too long ago that we had a lot of fun with. We we're going to get back to that eventually, uh, just scheduling. But Fate Accelerated is a great game because it's the perfect thing to... It's the perfect jumping off point if someone's new to role-playing games. It doesn't take a lot of explanation. It's not hard to understand. It's pretty straightforward as far as, like, how do I do X? Well, you just tell us what you're doing, and we'll figure out how you're approaching it. Like, okay, I want to try to break down the door. Okay, well, that's very forceful. Or are you trying to break down, you know, like, okay, I want to try to get through this door in some really clever way. Or like, okay, well, maybe that's, like, sneaky. You're trying to, like, pick the lock or, you know, whatever. It, it, that's not hard to, to grasp. They're, they're concepts that can be, can, you can, you can come to terms with very, very quickly and, you know, start playing so you're not sitting there explaining the rules. I would say if you're gonna play this game and you're a GM, you're gonna be reading this book for a while because I think you really do need to understand all these races and the history, and it really does go into a great amount of detail explaining that, which is interesting because it's, it's presented in a fun way. I'm not gonna lie, the fact that they're Muppet people, 
like little monster Muppet looking people is really funny. Um, because you look at this from a historical constant, like a, a, a historical context, it's very, it's a lot of very familiar stories. Um, you know, people displaced by natural disasters or people displaced by war moving into other people's territories that sets off other chains of events, but they do it in a way that it's like, it's serious. You would think it would be silly. You would think this would be like the most ridiculous game ever because you have, you know, Muppet people, but it, it didn't feel that way to me. I was reading the history of these, these cultures and I, I felt, you know, I, I cared about them. Um, which is, you know, considering I, I spent a few, you know, like I said, I spent, I spent some time in it. The artwork is lovely. I, I think that really does convey how lively these, these characters are and how, you know, it does, it doesn't take away from like the majesty of your character for them to be a member of any of these races. I think that's an achievement in and of itself. It could have been something that was completely ridiculous and silly, and you can certainly run it that way if you like. But to me, it feels like a a, a game that has fun with itself in a way that doesn't take away from its own importance, which is, I, I think that's a good thing. So if you're looking for something that's unique, uh, that... Not, not hard to learn, uh, has, maybe you, you've looked at some of the other Fate Accelerated, uh, adventure worlds, you know, a uh, save game, um, I forget, I forget some of the other names, I'm sorry, but there are quite a few of them, and you've played through a few of those, and you're looking for something that's maybe like the next step, uh, you know, like a jumping off point that doesn't tie into any big world, this might be, uh, a, a good choice, because, it's not something that's like the Dresden Files, where you have to go read the Dresden Files books to really understand that world, this is something that's unique to this game. You you can get into it and play it. There are other books. Um, there's a ton of uh, you know. There's there's um, there's the miniatures. So there's a lot of material for this game. It's definitely something that you can play for quite a while. Some games you'll pick up and it's like we played it as a one shot, or we played a couple games and then we stopped and moved on to something else. Uh, this is one of those things that I, I could see someone playing this for years and going through a bunch of different phases with it. But yeah, so I hope you guys enjoyed that. Thank you, by the way, to Cedars Fall, Iowa. You are our biggest listeners of the week. We appreciate you. We always appreciate all our listeners. You know, thank you to Evil Hat for letting me do a review of this. I appreciate it. I will see all of you guys on... Till then, we are out of character. Bye!